Welcome in to the Shop Management Show presented by AutoLeaf. I'm your host, Will. This podcast will explore the experiences, challenges, and lessons learned of auto repair shop owners. We'll cover every topic imaginable from EVs to ADOS, right to repair, the technician shortage, and so much more. AutoLeap is a cloud-based shop management software that allows shop owners to better run their business, increase efficiency, and grow revenue. You can find a link to schedule a free demo with AutoLeap in the show notes of this episode. Please like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thrilled to be joined today by Kyle Lindsay, host of the super successful Sab Kyle 4 YouTube channel. Kyle and I will discuss his unique journey in the industry and the experience of becoming a popular automotive YouTube influencer. Kyle, how are you? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me today. Excited to have this conversation. Let's start our discussion by focusing on the early days. So what fueled your initial passion for cars and how did that evolve into creating content for YouTube? So way back in the day, um, my dad used to own a used car dealership and between him and my grandfather going to car shows and going to dealer auctions and all this stuff. I've, I've been around cars my entire life. And when I was in school, uh, just graduating high school and going into college, um, was in the early days of YouTube and I was watching all these car channels and I was like, Oh, dad has all these cars at his place. That would be really cool to, you know, make videos of those too. So I started my channel as just a hobby to give myself you know, something to do, you know, a little hobby. And I would make these little walk around and test drive videos of just, you know, cars on the lot or cars at, you know, the sale or whatever. And that's really more or less how it started was just a pure hobby. That's really interesting to hear. And was there a certain moment where it turned from a hobby that, you know, you really enjoyed doing into, wow, I could actually do something with this from a professional standpoint. And what kind of drove that decision in evolving your approach to it? I heard of some channels being accepted into the YouTube partner program, which back then was the only way you can make money. And, you know, I I wasn't pulling in crazy views or anything like that, but I was like, man, how cool would it be if I could grow this to the point where I could just pay for my apartment or something like that? So, you know, I can focus on my schooling uh, because I went to pharmacy school. And, um, you know, I wouldn't have to go get a job outside of, you know, doing stuff on YouTube. So honestly, it took me probably a couple of years before I finally got accepted into the partner program. I think it was maybe 2010. Um, And then I just hit the ground running. By, By that time, being in school, I wasn't able to film stuff at dad's place or travel with him near as much as I used to. So I would, I would start going around to dealerships and, you know, new used cars doesn't matter. And, uh, basically offering my videos as a free service to dealerships. Like, Hey, I'll give you a shout out. Let me film your cars. And, you know, then it started to snowball after that. Yeah, that's really exciting. Wanted to circle back on that about your experience in pharmacy school. So how did you kind of, you touched on it briefly, but how did you balance your academic life in pharmacy school with trying to grow your YouTube channel in those early days? (laughs) That's kind of funny because almost everybody in my class, including some faculty, just knew that I wasn't going to be practicing pharmacy. (laughs) Because all I did outside of school, aside from like, you know, school obligations and stuff, I was going all over like the Charlotte and surrounding areas filming every single thing I could. And, um, you know, it was not not as challenging as as one might expect. You know, I, I dedicated 
you know, an appropriate amount of time to it as you would expect somebody would to a job, you know, while they're in school. So there were certain days of the week or, you know, a lot of times it was random. A dealership would get a car that I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go film. So sometimes I would just have to make time for it, um, which is, you know, not unlike how I have to do things today. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it really wasn't too bad, actually. It was more... Being that it was a lot of fun for me and it was a hobby, even though I was making money from it, I looked forward to doing it. And it kind of gave me a, a stress reprieve and something to think of other than the stresses of pharmacy school. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And what was the moment where you kind of decided that, okay, I'm not going to become a pharmacist. I, I want to do this full time. I'm going all in. What was that moment? And then kind of what drove you to that point? It was actually after I graduated. So I graduated in 2013. Um, my wife, uh, we got married in 2013. 2013 was a big year. <laughs> and uh, after we passed our boards, she went on to work for Walgreens and I didn't. <laughs> so um, passed my boards, got all that done. And I got my first press invitations uh for a little bit later that year. I think it was early fall. One was for the 2014 Kia Soul, and the other one was for the 2014 Rolls-Royce Wraith. It was like the most polar opposites of the spectrum. Um, but I was like, oh my gosh, you know, these, these manufacturers think enough of me to, you know, bring me to these launch events. Like, oh, how cool is that? Like, I got to be on to something. So you know, I had a, a little bit of a reprieve at that point from school. And I was like, you know what, I'm all, I'm done. Technically, I'm licensed. I'm a doctor of pharmacy. And let me just try this, try the YouTube full time, six months, a year, let me just see what I can do with it. And over that time, I started getting more invitations. And then 2015, I started getting press vehicles on the regular. So I mean, it just it just blew up with the variety of opportunities from you know kias and rolls royces to lamborghinis you know i was still going to dealerships and you know i i just i went hog wild i went everywhere <laughs> and it sounds like networking and building relationships was a key part of growing your channel early on there and receiving all those invitations so how did you approach that and what was your thought process behind that a lot of the early opportunities came to me and then you know just through word of mouth and then getting into the auto journalist circuit. And, you know, you know, a lot of those contacts get shared around. So, you know, between go, being a regular face at different events and then, you know, doing a good job and not being a jerk and like, you know, all the quintessential, just being a good person, um, you know, that the, people liked having me around, I guess. Um, but just over, over time, um, I actually ended up hiring a good friend of mine as my business manager, and he would, you know, reach out to all sorts of people all across the country. Um, you know, I see a Bugatti in Chicago. I'm like, can you set up this opportunity? Or, you know, I say Bugatti. Um, when the Chiron first came out, it was like the 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 gold content. Like if you could get a video on that car, you were you were sitting pretty for a while. And we got up with Bugatti corporate and we flew ourselves out to California where they set up an opportunity to film this demo car. Um, I mean, that's just one example. There's, there's so many cool things that happened. Um, it's, it's almost like a blur, but I, what started as coming to me, then I started reaching out 
offering it again as a free service, paying for my own travel, doing ever doing whatever I needed to do to get the content I needed. That's really exciting to hear. It's it's really interesting to hear your journey from those early days to where the channel's at now. I mean, over 1.3 million subscribers of the Sav Kyle 4 channel and over 700 million views. What do you attribute to the channel success? Why does it resonate so well with viewers? Why is continue to grow at that rapid rate? What do you think it is the formula you were you kind of were able to figure out in terms of these videos? I'll preface by saying, you know, YouTube has changed a lot over the years. I mean, this this will be the so I'll, I'll have been doing this full time for a decade as of this year, which is crazy. Um, and a lot has changed in 10 years. Um, but you know, between, you know, the viewership, you know, coming and going and peaking and, and dropping, you know, it's just ad seasons change. I mean, there's, there's so many variables to running a YouTube channel like this. I mean, it's, it, it, it hurts my head sometimes. Um, but the biggest thing that has been the most important thing to me is consistency, consistency, being genuine, and just being excited on camera, like, I mean, my my style of video has changed over the years. Um, I try to make my videos as professional of a, of a presentation as possible. I like to leave my reviews very objective and let the viewer, you know, make their own opinions of the cars based on the information that I give. You know, I'll try to give little tidbits and stuff here and there, but, you know, at the at the end of the day, you know, I wish I could be a little bit more consistent on my uploading, but you know, just, just people, people subscribe to your channel because they like you. They like your format. They like what you do. And as long as you don't deviate too far from that, unless, you know, it's like little one-off things that you're just having fun with and stuff. I think that's more or less the key to long-term success versus, trying to reinvent the wheel every six months or chasing viral views or something like that. It sounds like you're very in tune with what your audience is looking for and being adaptable in that sense. Question there, how have you stayed engaged with now a massive audience and ensure that your content remains relevant and interesting to them? It has been well, that so <laughs> I talk about, you know, it wasn't that hard in pharmacy school. It is very difficult nowadays because Aside from help that my wife provides me with, you know, keeping up with some of my my messages and social media stuff, I do everything. I film, I edit, I write, I do the work on the restoration projects. I literally do it all. And I can only communicate with, you know, my, my fan base, if you will, um, so well. So doing, trying to do more YouTube lives where people can join and ask any question that they want, you know, trying to post on social media as regularly as possible. I need to try to start doing more reels and stuff like that because videos are more popular, but you know, it's just, again, trying to, trying to feed it in the workflow, but you know, I, I I try to be as engaged with everybody as much as possible, because if I'm not filming the stuff that people want to see, then I'm, you know, just hurting myself at the end of the day. So, you know, that honestly was was kind of a pivotal point with the channel was the project content, 
and how that has evolved has has really taken the channel in a different direction but there was quite a big gamble there for a while because my channel was known for reviews for in-depth car videos not wrenching videos and stuff so i kind of that was a personal passion for me and something that i wanted to explore and i had to you know sort of force feed it onto the channel which fortunately worked out but it was like two three years of like really struggling with it like like am i doing the right thing i don't know part of me didn't really care because i was enjoying it but fortunately it has sort of paid off <laughs> but it's just long story short it's just a lot to keep up with and and all you can do is what you can do do your best I think it's really interesting what you just said about evolving the types of videos you do and the, the risk there. How did you weigh the pros and cons of that decision? And was it opening things up to a wider audience? Is that part of the equation? What kind of factored into that decision to move beyond just doing car reviews? So I, I really geek out over details and that's why my reviews are the way they are. And I'm very comfortable with those, but my passion deep down has always been classic cars, older cars, whether, you know, it's was tinkering on them or driving them or whatever. Whenever I had the opportunity to film an old car, I've really went into extreme depth. Like I just still do today. Um, so it was just always something that I wanted to be involved in. I just didn't know how to do it. And I had dabbled with some quote unquote project cars over the years here and there, but I didn't have a really firm mechanical knowledge. So it was only like surface level stuff. It wasn't until I got my 89 Nissan 240SX that I really got into like serious project content. And for me, serious at the time was, you know, taking apart a suspension or pulling out the interior, like stuff like that. I mean, that was a big deal for me. And that's changed a lot from, you know, what I was comfortable with back then compared to what I do now. Um, but I mean, there, you have, as much as you want to stay in your comfort bubble, it's important to evolve and bring new things because people get bored. I mean, especially nowadays, attention spans are so short and it's very unfortunate. I mean, you see the rise of TikTok and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's why. So the long form content that I'm used to is, has been a challenge to, to keep it at the level that I want to be, but there's still a lot of people that enjoy that. So that kind of ties back into the whole consistency thing, you know, stay within your lane over the years with YouTube changing the algorithm and a whole lot more people wanting to make videos and get into the scene. It got really competitive or it started getting really competitive and it's extremely competitive nowadays. I personally do not try to compete with anybody because that is the number one way to not have fun with it. I started my channel without the intention of being number one. I didn't start it with the intention of making money. I did it because it was fun. And I have a lot of people asking me nowadays, oh, I want to start a YouTube channel and do this and that. And I'm like, you know, they're like, is there any advice that you can give me? And I'm like, absolutely number one thing do it because you enjoy it do it because it's fun or a stress relief don't do it 
to to try to start a YouTube business or be a famous YouTuber because you will get beaten down over and over and over unless you're just that one lucky person that has the mo- the magical personality and the enough enough backing behind you to just get that massive jump start um and you know it's not to say i'm not saying that to like be discouraging or anything like that it's just you know some people get lucky with the algorithm some people have to work extra hard to build a you know a a, a diehard fan base and some people don't necessarily get anywhere with it and just do it because it's fun. So bottom line, have fun with it. That's great advice. I think it circles back to that theme of being genuine. And I can tell that was from day one, your your approach to this. And clearly it resonates in a big way with your audience. Circling back to creating content itself, how do you decide which cars to review or restore on your channel? Oh boy, that's a big question. Um, so nowadays with balancing the restoration content and the reviews, I actually work very closely with a company that manages a lot of manufacturers, Southeastern press fleets. So I usually get a vehicle every week. It's pretty much random, um, and but they're all new things. It may not be the most latest and greatest, like, like, I know I may not get it like the week after it gets unveiled or something like that, but I have a pretty consistent stream of vehicles that I can film, which is wonderful. Um, I don't really have time, unfortunately, to drive around to all the different dealerships and go to different events because I'm just so stacked up with work here at the shop. Um, so anyway, that that's kind of random. That's my that's my not fallback, but that's my consistent content that I know I always have. Um, as far as the restoration projects, a lot of that, you know, good, good or bad it has been based a lot around sponsor opportunities more so than just personal desires because it is, I mean, it's no surprise to anybody listening to this podcast, building cars is very expensive and YouTube does not pay for it unless, again, you're really lucky and pulling in massive, massive views. Um, so I've got a ton of projects at the shop and personal projects in different state. I say personal, I mean, YouTube projects in different stages, some of which are getting worked on because I have sponsor opportunities, some of which are like my 240 are not getting worked on because there is no monetary incentive to do it. And I hate to say it that way, but it's just, it's just business at the end of the day. I mean, I've got expenses, I've got bills just like anybody else. And you know, as much as I want to work on some of these long-term projects that honestly should have been finished a long time ago, sometimes I just got to make the hard choice and work on something else because that's what's paying the bills. And hopefully once that's done, I can just roll into the stuff that I really want to do and get those done and move on. It It, it is a juggling act like you wouldn't believe. Um, and I've got quite a variety of projects right now. Um, I'm actually actively working on a 1985 Pontiac Fiero um, for a good friend of mine. It's going to be his daughter's first car. That was kind of a random introduction to the channel or with the channel, but that car should be finished up soon. I've got to get back on the Nissan soon. I've got a 62 GMC pickup that I'm working on and so on and so forth. I mean, just a lot. It's overwhelming sometimes. (laughs) 
And with that massive workload that you have, how do you balance that with continuing to focus on how you can improve the content itself from, you know, the audio and video production to your script, how, how you're going through the reviews, the restoration project? How do you continue to improve the videos overall while balancing all of these projects that you have going on? <laughs> That's a great question. If you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> but no, since in all seriousness, um, I've got a pretty consistent format that I keep the reviews within, um, including how I write my scripts and stuff. So those are honestly pretty easy unless some of the, unless I have an issue with like a manufacturer's media site not being very friendly or something. Um, but those are pretty cut and dry. The project stuff is not bad except for doing the balance, balancing of filming and working. Um, if I'm doing sponsor type stuff, you know, I obviously have to write my own like commercials, so to speak for that. But at the same time, you know, I don't want it to be a random ad placement. I want it to be a natural partnership with the video like i'm working with these brands to further these builds not just you know hey somebody's paying me to work on this car um so that kind of goes back into the, the the genuineness as well you'd have to you know be aware of your verbiage and how you're presenting things and and, and whatnot to make sure you have you know good audience retention but <clears throat> Really, <laughs> just trying not to think about it all at one time and just tackling things one after the other because I honestly didn't think I would have the workload that I have, which, you know, is a good thing. It's wonderful to have opportunities. Um, but I like to think that I'm a little low key, like OCD or ADD or something. So, like, having all these vehicles around all needing little things here and there. If I'm not careful, I will just bounce around all over the place and get nothing done because I need to actually sit down and focus. Um, but, you know, I think over time, you know, I, I do want to whittle down the amount of projects and stuff that I'm working on to maybe like one or two, just so I can have that type of content for people to enjoy and make sure I'm focusing on my reviews as well. So I will always want to have variety. It's just managing that, that work-life balance. We'll be back next week with part two of our conversation with Kyle on his experience as an automotive YouTube influencer.